Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Step Back Sisterhood. Um, we're actually recording in within a two-week period, which is unbelievable. Um, this is Britt. I'm also here with Tara as well as Janelle. Unfortunately, Amber's not here today because of um, personal things, and we hope that you know, whatever's going on gets better soon. Um, but for today, we have a jam-packed show. The first thing we're going to talk about is the NBA Finals between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns that will be starting up or as the time of recording on Tuesday. And then next, we'll be talking about Rachel Nichols and the Maria Taylor situation, which is a mess. And then the final segment, we're going to talk about a topic that we actually talked about two weeks ago. But now that we have gotten additional hires, we have seen that Jason Kidd and Chauncey Billups have both gotten jobs. So we're going to discuss that in more detail as well. But first, let's talk quickly about the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals. Um, Janelle, what are your thoughts about the Finals matchup? And are you interested in it or not so interested in it? I am interested in it for strategy's sake. Because, you know, last episode I talked about Budenhosen and his stubbornness. And I'm interested in the matchup to see what he does right and what he does wrong. And also I'm interested to see about the health of Giannis. You know, that's that's still up in there, but I I believe that Giannis is going to find his way on the floor somehow. I mean, it's the finals. So I'll be interested to see how limited he is but as far as just as far as like on the entertainment factor I mean I'm I'm kind of torn I mean it's intriguing but not enough for me to get hyped about it when I was watching I was wondering about whether or not the uh, Bucks ability to win those last couple of games without Giannis if they were just a result of Atlanta just kind of finally running out of gas or have I or anybody else not respected the other players on uh, Milwaukee enough just because Giannis has been such a central figure because like watching Brooke Lopez go off, it's like, whoa, (laughs) this is kind of amazing watching what he's been doing. But I'm also curious about how, the Bucks have been, you know, reliant on Giannis. I guess, you know, what what you're getting at, maybe, you know, he, they've been too reliant on Giannis to really, you know, explore what Middleton can do, what Brook Lopez can still do at, at this point in his career. So I, I get it. Uh, yeah, I kept wanting to joke like, you know, wow, Giannis has really been holding Brook Lopez back, but obviously that would have been a joke. But on the other hand, it did make me wonder if I just hadn't appreciated like how much he still has to contribute or because like it was it was fun to watch the Hawks. But it also just kind of seemed like they just kind of ran out of steam at the end. And with, you know, Trey uh, having ankle, just not being able to quite be his his old self. Yes. Yeah, I think Atlanta, they, they've ran out of gas. And, you know, Trey being as compromised as he was, so that kind of gave Milwaukee the the series. Well, they still had to pretty much take it because they they had like a 20-some-odd point lead and then it dwindled down to like two in that closeout game. Yeah, and I, I think that's why I'm not as impressed so much with the Bucks. Um, one, I, I'm happy for P.J. Tucker. He... Don't think he's ever been to the NBA Finals, and um, this would be his first time. Um, to my knowledge, I probably should research that. So I apologize if I I'm think completely it, wrong. I think it is his first time. Yeah, because like all his other, I mean, he, the closest he's been is with the Rockets in the Western Conference Finals before this season. Um, and it, coincidentally, um, Tucker will be playing against one of his former teams, the Suns. But I just feel like with the Bucks. I'm just underwhelmed with them. Even with Giannis, it just seems as though they have been able. I think this is also true with the Suns is that it's been a battle of attrition. There have Mm -hmm. been so many injuries for so many teams this season that by the time that the finals has been set, I mean, we, 
literally have had major stars for all of the teams in both conferences get injured or be out. So in that way, I'm not as enthused about it. I am happy that it isn't the folks that we thought it would be at the beginning of the season. Um, even the Nets, like, it's not even like I'm trying to bash the former person from the Rockets. It's just more, it's nice that we have parity in the league. And I hope that it's not parity because of injury that moving forward, we'll have a lot more parity. Um, and then it's also shown that the ratings ha- are also positive although you know several folks like um i mean i won't call out names but i called out his name last week um we're saying like oh the ratings are going to be bad but they have actually been pretty good and i think that's because if the media focuses on how good the play is instead of focusing on one to two stars or three to four stars at most it allows for the league to be better in the future But as for this series, I feel like it may be a sweep or a a gentleman's sweep at that. Just because I I don't, I feel like, like I said, I feel like it has been a battle of attrition for the Bucks and for the Suns. But the Suns have most of their folks together. Like if Giannis is going to be able to play I don't know how much he'll be himself. So it'd be sort of like the Trey Young situation, the previous series, like John is having a hyperextended knee. That's not going to fix itself within a week, especially since like it probably would have been better if they got to a game seven, because then he would have had time to rest until Thursday, unless he tried to push himself to play during that game seven. But with that being said, I, I just, I feel like the Suns are an altogether better team. Um, Chris Paul, even though he has some issues, like he went off for 41 points during, um, what was it, game six? of the, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah, so game six and, you know, essentially blew that game out of the water versus the Clippers. I, I just feel like the Suns have had significantly better health and they have more of their players together and they don't have like one major star missing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised though, if the bucks somehow get it to, you know, six, but I don't see it going any further than that. I don't see it going further than that either. Uh, I'm looking at sons and five, uh, at least a gentleman's sweep because the, the bucks don't really have the firepower to hang um, with with the Suns and you know I really don't trust Budenhosen as a one to make adjustments when he needs to so it, I, I just don't see it although that being said I have to go back and say you know last week I said if coach Bud wasn't able or two weeks ago I said that if coach Bud wasn't able to adjust then you know they were going to be done with the series but he did a you know, he did adjust a bit with be, having Giannis out. Like, I, I feel like the, I, I don't know if it was just because of Trey also being out and it was equaled, but I feel like he did a little bit of adjustments, at least in between games, I, not so much like in game, but um, I can at least say that about him. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I'm talking more or less the end game, mm-hmm. you know, outside of the game with, you know, being compromised without Giannis, at, you know, you kind of had to make those adjustments. You know, it, it just seems to me Bud's adjustments come when he's forced. That's how stubborn he is. And I don't know if it's a Popovich uh, tree thing, but all Popovich-related coaches have that bit of stubbornness to them. Every one of them. But I think Budenhosen is the most stubborn. I, I really don't see him making a lot of adjustments unless he is forced. And I'm wondering, even if he, if the Bucks win the finals, or even, you know, since they got to this point, is it, is it worth them looking at other coaches? I know, I mean, there's not like many coaches that's out there, but you know, 
it makes you wonder a bit. When I think about this matchup that's coming up ahead, I like all year I was saying that I didn't think that Phoenix had enough experience. All year I was saying that, and I was so wrong. Clearly, <laughs> they I, I just didn't think that they had enough time together. I just kept thinking at some point, you know, they're just because they haven't been together that long. It's, you know, and they're, you know, mostly really young. It's just not going to, at some point they're going to hit the wall and they just never did. And I'm just, I think I was completely wrong about that. When I think about this matchup, I think about watching the Bucks is just like, is watching the same thing over and over again. Like you were saying, like with the, with the adjustments and it was like with Giannis out, he was like kind of forced to adjust and, you know, play some different players. And those other players like really were able to thrive in that situation, but just like, it's just like, it reminds me kind of, of uh, how I've been feeling about watching the Blazers lately. It's they just do the same thing over and over and over again. They have Giannis though. And so uh, it's really hard to watch for me. It's really hard for me to watch the Bucks, And I find the Suns just really fun to watch. I find everything about them pretty. I feel like the way they play the game, the way they pass the ball, their arena, the shoes, the uniforms, the way that they're always running, the way that they run different things constantly and you never quite know what they're going to do. I just find them really exciting to watch. So I'm intrigued to see what this matchup is going to actually look like. But here's the thing about the Suns, though. You mentioned that they don't have experience, but what they have and what's most important is that they have in those young guys, the willingness to take directions and and the willingness to Mm -hmm. learn under a guy like CP3. And And a great coach. And and, uh, Monty Williams. That's what they had. And that's how they developed and developed into what we see now. Yeah. Sometimes that's all you need. And to be honest, I think it's multiple things. Like one, the, you know, attrition thing that I mentioned, I think that's really a big thing. Like, Sometimes you get lucky and a lot of the teams ahead of you are injured. I mean, they had Kawhi being out extended period of time, well, the entire series for the Clippers. The Lakers had their issues and I'm not, and I guess I'm not trying to bag on them and say like, hey, they weren't good. They're definitely good. But having luck factors in a ton when it comes to being able to get to the finals and being able to be successful. But Beyond that, it, I think that 8-0 bubble, like, shot them up significantly. Like, yeah. being able to experience that pit playoff intensity, although they weren't able to make it to the playoffs, essentially allowed them to understand, like, how to, how they're supposed to, you know, get themselves together, how they're supposed to like communicate when it, the games are close, what the feeling that intensity was um, for the playoffs. And they were able to take that and motivate themselves during this year. Um, I think CP three definitely contributed. I think that he made me put them over the top and allowed them to thrive, but they already were on that path. I, I think that, um, CP3 like shortened it to I, what I they did this year. Yeah. 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 I think it, it, and I mean, ultimately, you know, even though I have like mixed feelings about, you know, Chris Paul and his situation, like him being healthy was vital as well. Like outside of the, you know, the shoulder issue and COVID, like he being healthy for a second season in a row, which I was wrong about that. He was, you know, he, he's been healthy for two years via the vegan, you know, situation or whatever that factored in too, because when it came to, you know, having a healthy point guard, your entire season allowed for Booker and allowed for the backcourt rotation not to have to be overburdened the entire season, especially with, you know, all the other stuff that was happening around the country um, and them having to travel and stuff like that. So having minimal amount of injuries, having other folks being injured, but then ultimately speaking, utilizing and learning from the experiences from the bubble the last season that allowed for the Suns to be as great as they are, um, you know, showing now and most likely will show during the finals. Yes, I, I agree. I agree. And, and a lot of people, you know, really take taking that bubble situation for granted, but I'm glad you 
uh, highlighted that, Britt, because that's the foundation. What they did in that bubble, you know, even though they didn't make the playoffs in, in that uh, environment, it set the tone. It gave them, you're right, it gave them the confidence to say, hey, we can contend. And, you know, adding CP3 was accelerated it. So I, I totally agree. Yeah. A really popular topic that I've heard on a lot of different podcasts and flat platforms is about, you know, does this year deserve a special asterisk because of, you know, all of the injuries and everything that was going on? What do y'all think about that? Um, I, I, I personally, like I did say, like, I, I think I actually mentioned it a couple of months ago, like, Hey, does this season deserve a uh, asterisk? Um, although like I said it, like I would have to say no, but I think it deserves context. And I think all seasons deserve context surrounding it. And that's what a lot of people don't do. Like for instance, um, I mean, I'm going to use Houston Rockets as examples because that's just, you know, I'm a Houston Rockets fan. When it comes to the 17-18 season, that season where, you know, the Rockets were one hamstring away from getting to the finals, folks mentioned, oh, 0-27. Um, when it comes to the three-point shooting. But then if you look at the video, you can see that the Rockets players were being undercut by Golden State. Sorry, Janelle, if you don't dis- if you disagree with that, but they there were fouls that were not called, which would have reduced that 0 and 27 to probably being, you know, one or two, or at least not having those consecutive numbers as high as it was. Um, that doesn't mean that oh, sorry. What would have um, reduced those numbers with them taking more mid-range shots? Well, even when they were taking mid-range shots, they were getting crowded at the paint and being fouled there. But I'm not saying that they would have won. Uh, that's not what I'm saying is that people use just one. Ex- they use the 0 and 27 as like this indicator that they would have um, lost anyway when there was contacts to show that they probably should have had opportunities to get to the foul line and maybe have more chemistry later on in the game. I'm not saying at all that they would have won um, or they would have, they may have still lost and, but not having the opportunity to get fouls and having a ton of fouls called against you hurts when it comes to trying to build momentum towards the end of the game, because after they were getting fouled at the paint and after they were getting fouled at the three-point line, I felt like the, a lot of the momentum towards trying to get, um, you know, good possession sort of went away. And then they were just trying to throw up shots after that. That's just my opinion about it. Like I'm not, and like I said, I'm not saying that they would have won, they would have lost um, or anything like it, it is what it is at this point. But I hate when people just give that one singular example instead of talking about all the things that surrounded that game um, and that series itself. Um, but the reason why I say that is because when it comes to, you know, finals and when it comes to seasons, there's a lot of context that goes to it. Like it's not just, you know, this one team wins and that's it. I feel like that sort of goes to rings culture. Like we should realize that there are 29 other teams that had seasons and 29 other teams that fought um, and 29 other teams that may have been less successful, but having that context surrounding it allows us to be more informed as a, you know, a general sports fan and specifically an NBA fan, if you're trying to be more, um, you know, knowledgeable and not just giving hot takes. So that's all I'm really saying. But yeah. So I guess, Janelle, did you feel, do you feel like there should be an asterisk? No, no, it shouldn't because, you know, each team have been dealing with, with basically the same issues about all year and, um, we the league decided to play, so it, it shouldn't be any special asterisks. I mean, you know, the circumstances were special, but for people to just really place an asterisk on the season, and I'm not really with that because they it doesn't it doesn't really doesn't make any sense to me to do that, you know. And, and I agree with having context behind it, not asterisks, but context. You're, you're absolutely right, Britt, but I, I just don't see a point in having a asterisk when you know 
we decided to play. Tara, do you think there should be an asterisk? No. And I, I guess the, the, the other thing that I was thinking about is like, did the, did injuries like ruin the playoffs? And like, obviously that for the people who got injured, like, I'm not saying that the people who got injured, like that it's not a bummer that we didn't have all of these stars, but I, I think it's still a really interesting product, even if the star players had injuries. I mean, I think I've also heard people saying asterisk in terms of like, it's just not interesting to watch anymore because the biggest stars aren't there. And, you know, especially with that game where neither Giannis nor Trey uh, were playing. And I think like, as far as entertainment value, I am still, I personally am still entertained, even if the biggest stars aren't playing, because I love the opportunity for who to step up, watching who's going to step up. How's the game going to be different? So, like, I would never, like, say it's better because, you know, people got injured and, like, different, uh, you know, different people that were not expected won. But I am open to the fact that because some people got injured, we were able to see other people do things that we had never seen them done before. Yeah. And I think the last thing to keep in mind is that the NBA did have some of the highest injury numbers in its history. Like there was a report and I'm completely forgetting who wrote it. I, I, I want to definitely close. Um I'm trying to remember. It wasn't in street clothes, but it was another. Uh, I saw the ESPN one about the injury. Um, but um, and I'm pulling it up right now. So I'm trying to talk through that. Um, <laughs> so let's see. I, I'm glad um, you brought this up, though, because I think this is an important topic. Yeah. So um, Baxter Holmes. uh wrote that uh, that this has been one of the highest injury um, seasons in the NBA since it's been sort of recorded. And he said that um, one of the things that was mentioned was that the increase is even more pronounced when focusing on league stars, this all-star, the season's all-stars missed 370 of the possible 1,944 games, which is 19% of the games, which is the highest percentage in the season in NBA history, according to um, Elias Sports Bureau. They missed the average of 13.7 regular season games um, each this season. So, I, like I said, I don't think there should be an asterisk. I, I'm happy that um, I'm not happy about the injuries, but I'm happy that it allowed for folks that weren't usually focused on to get the focus that they needed. So that was the positive, but the negative is that a ton of folks got injured and I think it's going to have tremendous con- consequences or consequences. If I can talk um, when it comes to the collective bargaining agreement that um, and those discussions that are coming up. So I, I think that no, there shouldn't be a con- or a, a asterisk, but there probably will be a lot of discussion surrounding this moving forward, especially when they have those um, CBA discussions in the, in the relatively near future. Uh, it's also probably going to affect some players' contracts, like mm-hmm. who weren't able to meet certain marks because of injury. Yeah, um, and, and, and also bonuses and things like that. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And also just, it could, especially with the COVID things, because we've heard multiple players, you know, indicate that they have essentially like, you know, long COVID as it's called. Um, It may affect their careers in the long term. They, there may be shortened careers. There may be a lot of issues that won't, you know, really be seen until, you know, years down the line. So I, I think when it comes to that, there's going to be a lot of consequences, but I don't think that necessarily indicates an asterisk needs to be added, but we need to always be cognizant of that and keep context in mind talking about championships. I agree. Well, let's pivot towards uh, an explosive New York Times article that was uh, published over the weekend about Rachel Nichols and um, Maria Taylor. and. That piece, I mean, it's not really surprising to me, but it hit me on a visceral level. I mean, it you know, really personal because um, a lot of times in corporate America, 
and regardless of any field in the industry for specifically black women, because we're double minorities, we have to work twice as hard or even not even as twice as hard, but maybe even four times as harder to get what we deserve, what we feel that we deserve. And Rachel's comments just hit different for us, especially those who are working in the sports media industry. Um, and another thing that's disturbing about this whole Wahala is the fact that a lot of people are were being obtuse about, well, it's an invasion of privacy, but you know, when you are in broadcasting, you gotta assume that every mic is hot and you have to watch what you say. You know, and the the insinuation for Maria, which you know, she covers college and pro sports, college football, college basketball, NBA, NFL, whatever, is that she got to where she was because of her color and not her talent. That's the biggest issue here. And it just hits different. Yeah. Would it make sense for us to sort of step back and give the timeline, especially since now that we have more information about that? Absolutely. Yeah, so I can cover that a bit. So, and actually, before we started recording, uh, uh, Janelle and Tara mentioned like some of the things I didn't realize connected. So it, uh, and maybe folks didn't realize as well. But essentially, last year we were notified that um, Rachel Nichols had some video that was leaked with her having comments and a lot of people were assuming that, you know, it was something that was like a, you know, sort of similar to some of the hotel incidents that other ESPN um, female reporters have had and gave her a lot of sympathy. Um, This happened during the bubble. Um, She was, you know, essentially in charge of a lot of the, you know, recording equipment because of the, you know, the social distancing as well as the bubble protocol or protocols prevented folks from being able to be there you know typically would have a producer and you know camera folks and mic folks there to support but during the bubble they did not so she was in charge of a lot of that so for context initially folks didn't realize what was happening and or didn't know what she actually said, but people were upset that she her stuff was re- leaked to um and other employees in ESPN. So that was known about a year ago during the bubble. Um, now, um, going or fast forwarding to about 48 hours ago or so, um, the New York Times had an explosive article, like uh, Janelle said, indicating that on the morning of, um, or that Rachel Nichols had indicated that Maria Taylor uh, was put into the NBA finals for diversity reasons um, and how uh, Rachel Nichols and Adam um, Mendelssohn, um, who is LeBron James' longtime advisor, um, were laughing about how how being exhausted, um, how exhausted they were regards to the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter. So this was actually what was being recorded during the, you know, quote unquote leaked at the time um, video that was uh, that surfaced last year, but that context wasn't provided. Um, Deadspin, they, you know, sort of, I guess, uh, they mentioned that they sort of knew about the context, but because they didn't have evidence, they only released part about the leaks, which, you know, personally doesn't make sense, but I'll just move on from there. Um, so since the comments were surfaced, I, I feel like there's been a fire storm. Um, Rachel Nichols, or at least people who are reporting, talked to Rachel Nichols once the leaks were released last year. She said that she tried to reach out to Maria Taylor. Um, Maria Taylor didn't respond. Um, and then the second part that happens that Maria Taylor, you know, I guess essentially made an ultimatum saying that I do not want to work with Rachel Nichols. So ESPN has been shooting, you know, um, 
episodes of the jump and the associated NBA shows where they would do pre-recordings with either Rachel and Maria. And I don't think people really realize that. So they would never have any like conversations with each other during the line. Um, And then they were actually trying to, you know, undercut Maria by saying, oh, we're about to give her a ton of money and her contract's about to end. Um, so her con- our Maria's contract, according to reports, ends on July 28th. And ESPN is saying that they're going to give her multi-millions. I think I've heard as much as $5 million per year for her contract. But it, it seems like Maria at this point has one foot out the door. And in a couple of weeks, she's going to be fully out of the door because of the things that ESPN has done to essentially block uh Rachel Nichols from getting in trouble. Um, and the other thing too, is that during the time last year that this incident happened, um, Rachel Nichols producer, and um, I'm blanking on her name. Do you, um, Janelle, what's the, her producer's name? Um, Kayla. Um, yeah, I think it's Kayla. Oh, okay. But she, um, and yeah. Kayla. Um, but coincidentally, her producer is also black. She got in trouble for the leak that happened um, and was demoted. And then eventually she. Taylor Johnson, that's her name. Taylor, yeah. So um, she was demoted as a result of these leaks happening. And eventually she left ESPN. So now we can see that because of a cascading effect of ESPN essentially trying to protect one of their, you know, major stars who I think everyone knows, and I'm not being mean by saying she is a white woman. Um, They essentially lost one of their producers and then now they're losing one of their rising stars because of essentially racism. But it really just really, you know, made me, incredibly angry. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not a reporter. I don't um, say that I'm a reporter and very much would rather avoid saying I'm a reporter for many reasons. Um, you know, most of which is that I feel like you have to have an ethical level that a lot of reporters and journalists don't currently have, but I feel like you need that if you're going to be a reputable and decent reporter, but for them to, you know, for one Rachel to throw, a fellow, um, you know, reporter slash journalist under the bus when it's a systemic issue with ESPN is just foul for her to not acknowledge, um, you know, Maria's credentials. Like she was a former, uh, you know, a former athlete. She got a degree in broadcast journalism. That is foul. And then for ESPN to, you know, essentially gaslight Maria and for Kayla for essentially a year and then protect Rachel to a point where she was able to say like, Oh, I didn't do anything realizing that she actually said something really rather awful, which caused the animosity and caused someone to essentially get fired because getting demoted and then not feeling like you're comfortable enough to be in that position like that, that's just like I don't know what ESPN could have done worse than what they did in the last year. Yeah, it, it is it is a lot, and just just thinking of, about Maria and and just how how to, how it's impacted people who are very invested in it is, it's a lot, you know, um, I was reading this article by Ashrod Bakley and it was in Ebony about this whole um, Maria Taylor incident. You know, he is the president of the NABJ sports task force. And at the end of the piece, it says the worst kind of allyship is the kind that smiles in your face and stabs you in the back. Sadly, black folks have seen this play out time and time again. That that's just so true. And that's that's essentially what happened at ESPN. And the track record 
with the track record is nothing new. What I'm wanting to know what will be done about it, if anything. And sadly, I believe it'll be business as usual. I mean, ESPN is owned by a major um, conglomerate in, you know, Disney. And they have, like you said, they've done this before with multiple folks, um, you know, name. And I think we probably could, you know, think of the multiple folks pretty immediately. Um, I mean, I don't think we need to necessarily address it again, but they have done this like sneaky, you know, covert racism um, or stuff that is sort of nearing racism for multiple years at this point. And all they really do is they either fire someone or make them look like the bad, you know, the bad guy or the bad woman. And then it, it just, you know, they allow for the sort of consequences in regards to them to symbol simmer down and then they go on with their lives. And I mean, I, I think that being a major, you know, company allows them to do that. Um, and I, I don't know if that will change unless, you know, and I don't think this is ever ha- going to happen anytime soon, but unless that, you know, the Disney itself gets broken up and it's not because they have bought so much and they have so much power there, you know, as to use a, you know, a term that a ton of folks use is they're too big to fail. And I don't think, you know, there is a government system that is willing to go after them and say like, Hey, you have too much power for this. So until, and it won't happen, but until that ever happens, then this is just going to continue to go on. And it's very unfortunate. It is. I was, I was surprised by this whole thing. I will admit I did not see this coming when I read the transcript and just, I couldn't believe it just sounded so condescending to me. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, cause one of the quotes from it is that one of the things that Nichols said is that, um, you know, go find it somewhere else. Don't take it away from me. And, and I just, yeah, that, that, that really had me heated too. Yeah. Don't take I, I just, my thing. And I feel like, like that, to to say something like that, it, the, you know, you wouldn't say that if you weren't thinking it, right? And she just has always appeared to be such an ally, like, you know, to talk, to take it a little bit into like what Rachel Nichols has been doing on ESPN this whole time. Like when the jump first started, I was excited because, oh, look, a woman is, is hosting this show about the NBA. Well, that's progressive. And then she would do these monologues, which I personally found interesting. I mean, a lot, I know a lot of people like don't like the, the jump and the way that they cover the NBA, but at least at the beginning, I thought that was really cool. And I thought that she was, you know, making a place to, you know, like she has a show. So she has a place where she can bring more people on and she can actually bring them into the conversation and elevate more voices and to see her doing that. But then to say something like this, when she thought, it was off the record. It just, I don't know, made my stomach sick. And I'm actually reading the Deadspin article now. And I didn't realize that they had the video. Like, I thought that they were just told that what was in the context of the video. They had the video. They they decided, I'm, I'm reading this article now, and it's really making me heated, that they... Um, we had a huge story that we knew was layered. We knew there was more. We tried to get the full video and more info, but sources were silent. Besides, I wasn't going to write an article about Nichols being on some BS, um, and they use the full term, when it came to Taylor without knowing exactly what BS was and how much BS was exactly there. But then the plot twist on July 16th, 2020, at some time who cares i reached more i received more texts with an anonymous number with 202 area code that originally sent me the video clip um but this time their tone energy and language was different they thanked us for writing the perfect article and 
when I asked more questions, trying to get them to reveal themselves, they backtracked and said, we never met, which is not how you originally introduced conversation. Worry played, worry, uh, I'm not even going to give them anymore. It, It just makes me so incredibly angry that, yes, this is layered. Yes, they needed to do their due diligence before revealing that. But they had a whole year to do that due diligence. (laughs) They didn't have to wait until 2021 to say, oh, we knew about the entire thing, but we didn't want to put Rachel Nichols (laughs) under the bus. They have done it with much less to other people before. So I'm not giving Deadspin any type of you know this is a pun but any type of spin when it comes to this mess anymore no you do not get any respect for excluding context that would have allowed people to make a better decision do i think that they should have waited yes they should have done their you know due diligence to ensure that one that you know the video wasn't doctored in any way but then two like they should have done as much legwork as possible or even like hey the new york Times, you know like work with another outlet who has more sources who may be w- more willing to talk to then get the information that they needed to show exactly that hey this is what happened and hey this is what has happened as a consequence like deadspin gets nothing from me other than disdain that they essentially waited a full year they knew exactly what happened and they didn't do the due diligence during the time Uh, and this is with me understanding that newsrooms are small staff i think deadspin had layoffs and things like that so i completely understand that that could have caused it but the reporter who is indicating that this is what happened is still there like why did they not do the deal diligence sometime within the last year and allowed for this to surface a lot sooner that really makes I, I, I agree it just seems like dead spin was just trying to pat themselves on the back and flex seeing that the Times um, had their piece published. No, they, they do not get points for that. And they, they should have pushed the issue and did their due diligence and released the story. And again, this hasn't stopped them before. They always bagging on ESPN. And this would have been the prime opportunity for them. Yep. The prime opportunity. But now they look absolutely awful. And they had, like... It would be one thing if they didn't know, if they didn't have the video and, you know, they were told, like, you know, sort of secondhand and they were able to confirm, like, hey, at least the video exists. But they had the video. They had time to see if it was doctored or not. Like, even, I feel like they had enough from that video to see that it wasn't just like a two second clip of her saying something and there wasn't any context surrounding it. Like the video is long enough to see that that was really the context that was being discussed. Like maybe she wasn't trying to be overtly or, um, you know, she wasn't being overtly racist when it came to it. Maybe she felt like, uh, like it's racist, like don't get me wrong, but I think it it shows a lot more of the privilege that she has by Mm -hmm. saying that she may not be like racist. I think that happens to like a lot of allies or like quotes folks who are quote unquote allies is that they don't realize their privilege. And then when they don't realize that they say a lot of really, really bad stuff that is incredibly inappropriate and is racist. But then they go back and say like, Oh, but I'm, I'm an ally anyway. No, no. When being an ally is a continual thing and you need to do things. And if someone doesn't take your apology because of something that you did wrong, that's not on them to take the apology from you. Like Maria was completely right for not on her right to not, take the apology and do as much as she can to distance herself from her during that year when ESPN was hiding that she actually did it. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I I mean, 
I feel like Desmond trying to say like, well, we, we knew about it. It makes them look even worse now because they essentially put the good parts to sort of show like, Oh, um, someone leaked some sort of thing is like, um, I, I think that ultimately speaking, it's just really disappointing, um, that the, it's just disappointing all around when it comes to the situation. And I'm very frustrated, not just for, you know, Maria, I think ultimately, um, you know, Maria is the one who is the most impacted as well as um, Kayla Johnson. They're the two people who are the most impacted by the situation. And I feel absolutely horrible for them. Um, But I feel absolutely embarrassed and sad for all of the Black uh, women um, journalists and non-binary journalists, like folks who are, you know, out in this, you know, essentially having another instance of, hey, this is how newsrooms and this is how sports rooms are treating people who have a lot more you know i guess quote unquote reputation than me like they they would essentially hide and gaslight for an entire year a situation that they had video evidence of like they allowed for deadspin to have that coverage that made rachel look absolutely positive for an entire year and did not punish the person like at the very minimum like even if deadspin only showed that why didn't espn punish rachel like she did that on their video equipment she allowed herself to be recorded saying that that is on her she should have been punished they didn't do anything in fact they did the exact opposite and punished maria and they punished um kayla so i, I it's just like Everyone except for Maria and Kayla are in the wrong when it comes to this. Deadspin, um, ESPN, you know, the producers and executive producers and the executive folks in ESPN who allowed for this to essentially linger for a year and allowed for two professional Black women to be put you know thrown under the bus for an entire year for something that they had no initial you know things to cause it to happen it was because of one woman's irresponsible and repulsive comments that you know maybe she wasn't being racist maybe she was just frustrated but it just showed how much her privilege blocked her from the thing that Ultimately, it's not Maria's fault that, you know, even she she didn't have credentials. Like, let's put it out for the second she didn't have credentials. Maria was hired by ESPN. Maria had worked previously in the field. Maria, if you're mad that your bosses are putting someone there you shouldn't be mad at them you should be mad at the bosses for doing that and for you to throw someone under the bus because of that is childish childish privilege and just really gross yes and it it all boils down to you know being an ally for convenience rather than being an ally for conviction anybody could be an ally for convenience that's easy, but when it really comes down to it, that's when you get fully say you're ally. Allyship for convenience rather than conviction, and when things really get real, should always be exposed. But yeah, it's just really disgusting all the way around, and I'm just willing to, I just can't wait to see what the fallout is and what the aftermath is going to be. But um, anyway, moving on, let's let's talk about the Mavericks hiring Jason Kidd and uh, more falling out about the Chauncey Billups hire in Portland. Uh, There's been a lot that's been said about Billups in Portland and Kidd getting it, what, the 50 11 chance (laughs) in Dallas. I mean, what do y'all think about that? Well, 
I can talk about the Portland part of it. I know we've started talking about it a couple of weeks ago, um, but amazingly, the Trailblazers made it even worse um, by doubling down um, and also not giving the coach a chance to speak for himself. Mm-hmm. So with the what happened in Portland is that um, on Friday, they broke the news on a Friday. They broke the news that uh, uh, who they were going to hire and uh, then had everybody left. It was like the hottest weekend on town in the recorded history of Portland. And uh, the only person really left to discuss on Twitter anyway, this hire was Damian Lillard. And so some, some people, not everybody, some people came for Damian Lillard and were like, how can you endorse this? Um, Knowing, you know, what happened in 1997, Damian got defensive and it was a really ugly weekend. And in a, article comes out about how for the first time he's considering leaving Portland because of the way the Blazers have botched this whole thing. And it it's, this is a mess, but anyway, there was nobody from the Blazers around to answer or respond at all. They just said, we're going to have this press conference on Tuesday. So they had a press conference the following Tuesday and people are like, okay, well, we'll get a chance to finally understand, you know, the reasoning behind it with, uh, you know, a, a coach who had a, a very serious uh, charges incident, um, you know, a long time ago, but also very serious. And um, like, let's hear your reasoning. Like, get, let's, let's hear why you're thinking that this is okay. And um, they gave a very generic answer that was like, well, we did an investigation and we decided there was nothing that uh, would prevent him from being a head coach in the NBA, which like doesn't answer anything. Um, and uh, Billups himself said, you know, that this, the incident, you know, affected him greatly. We heard all about how it affected him. And then a reporter asked a follow-up question and said, well, you said that this impacted your life greatly. Can you expand on that? And the coach was ready to answer. His mouth was open. He was going to answer this question. And the Blazers PR person said, no, we've already asked that question. We're not going to answer that question. So basically they did not let him speak for himself and are basically asking all of the Portland fans who've had a hard time with his hire, just like, distrust us. It's fine. Which is just like, so it just gets worse and worse. Like it, it, like I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of wondering, like, am I too close to the situation? Am I not seeing the broader picture? And I'm just kind of was curious, like what y'all thoughts were as this was playing out. Um, you know, again, like, am I making too much of it? Is this uh, something that even like, ha- I know that a lot of people are, have been talking about it, but I'm not sure how much, the Portland hire has, um, you know, made it. And I haven't heard that much talk about kid either. Like people, like I have not, I haven't heard that deep of a dive on what happened there, but I think it's interesting that they haven't had their press conference. So maybe they looked at the, what the Blazers were like, and like, Ooh, maybe we can figure out how not to do that. I don't know. What are, what are your all thoughts on this? I guess I'm not surprised about any of it. Like once, because was it, was Jason Kidd hired first or Billups? It was basically like within like a 48 hour window I when they were Kidd both. Was, I think Kidd was first and then Billups later. And I think that Billups had the, you know, had their press conference yep. first. But regardless, like once Jason Kidd and like quick, quickly after John Chauncey Billups were hired, I, I, I essentially like shut down. That's, like for me personally like it's too like the situations like I can't I can barely talk about it because I've had you know a similar uh you know think I guess not necessarily thankfully but I've had a similar situation when it came to some of that um or what has been alleged and what you know has happened um and I guess we have to use alleged because I don't think in either case they actually went to court or were convicted and you know just to cover um you know ourselves we have to say that but it's just the nba you know in the last year or so when especially dallas with the situation that cuban had when it came to 
the you know this the the assault allegations the uh a you know a situation that happened in Dallas a year and a half two years ago that completely blew up he had to apologize he hired a diversity person it it just shows that they you know he definitely didn't learn um and this is shortly after the you know the board member you know really made luca mad i don't know if that was associated with it and then they you know fired a ton of folks like the nba is ultimately owned by a ton of very rich folks um, mostly of one particular, um, you know, you know, quote unquote race, um, and they really don't care. So I, I, I just sort of like I think that the Billups situation is just completely silly. The Trailblazers had a way, like it probably would have not made it better, but to essentially, you know, coddle him by not allowing him to answer the questions that were asked by the journalists besides one is just like, that was completely just silly of them and just continue like they, you know, they don't want to acknowledge their faults. Um, And especially since now he's hired what, what was his contract a four plus one um so he's he is in now he's in the same situation as another folk um luke walton and the trailblazer is going to be in a bad situation especially if the team isn't good um so all they had to do is hire someone else like that's what makes me i mean there's many things about this that are infuriating but there's other qualified coaching candidates that they could have hired. And one of the gross things that they did too was say, well, Becky Hammond did a great job. She made it all the way to the final interview. We just wanted to go with somebody who had more gravitas. And I was just like, God, I mean, there's other candidates that they could have hired and this would have not been an issue and like having him be the face of the franchise would not be so hurtful to so many people who express themselves and then had to endure abuse because they express themselves about it. I mean, the whole thing is a mess and I'm, yeah, it, it sucks that no one's surprised. It's that sucks so bad. And I don't know what we can do to change it. It's not surprising to me either, but you know, what was surprising was the way that they handled Becky. You know, it, it's like they just used her for good PR, knowing good and well that they were going to hire Chauncey in the first place because originally that's one of the names that Dame wanted, you know? And yeah, they could have hired somebody else. I guess if, for example, if they would have hired Dan Tony, it wouldn't have been that much of a blowback. Not like it was with Chauncey. I mean, for example, I mean, I think there was D'Antoni, Don Stanley, Chauncey, and who who else were they looking at? I don't know if they were looking at him, but Ime Udoka was one of the uh, people that people in Portland were interested in. I mean, there's a there's a whole there's a lot of people candidates out there right now interviewing for these new jobs. Like there were other people. Who was uh, the former Portland assistant coach? I'm thinking on Vanderpool. Vanderpool. Yeah, Vanderpool. Like Dame was promoting him too. Like they were too. Yeah, yeah. Vanderpool. There, there are so many candidates that the Trailblazers and that the Mavericks could have went towards, but for them to do that in Mm -hmm. such short succession is just like I, I, like I. I think that first, like, I'm not surprised. And then for my mental health, I've been sort of disengaging from it because it just makes me so incredibly angry. Um, it, It like, I guess I'm, even though the Rockets had a ton of situations, like, um, Coach Silas is incredibly like one of the nicest folks in the NBA and no one says anything about it. So I guess I could be I, I'm thankful that it wasn't, you know, this didn't happen as well from a Houston perspective. Like last season, I feel like was a relatively I mean, it was bad. Like I, I can't ignore that. But I, I feel like at least they didn't go towards like this 
sort of controversy, but the trailblazers and the Mavs just fell into it. And there were, and especially for the blazers, they had like, I feel like until now they're, you know, and Tara, you can probably talk about it more, but their fan base has been so supportive of them and for them to do that. And then not even for them to allow their media members to ask questions beyond a single one that's that's embarrassing for them like i'm not surprised for the mavs but the trailblazers you know they could have avoided a lot of the stuff that was happening with the mavs by either actually looking at other people and not just like you know talking that they were and you know it it sounds like Chauncey was their choice from the get-go and they just did it for you know whatever reason but you know it is what it is and leaving Damien out there and like a Damien like did not handle this in the most elegant way possible. Uh, you know, there's a, it's so much of it could have been avoided. And I just, you know, I just, I feel so bad for like, I have a lot of, um, I know a lot of people who've given, I've given up my tickets. A lot of people who have, I haven't had them as long as some people, but I have, you know, know people who've had tickets for years and years and use, you know, sports is, is their thing. That's like how they like, you know, have fun. It's how they think about other things. And now they've, you know, given those things up and that's nothing compared to like, also the, you know, people who have to see him there representing the franchise every night. I don't know. It's, it's just a mess. And I don't know how the people in um, of Dallas fans are handling it too. And it's like, everyone talks about how it's a business and it's like, you have to do what's good for the business, but it's not a business if you don't have fans. And if you're constantly doing things that make the fans feel horrible, like who's going to stand up for the, like, I guess the fans just have to stand up for themselves and talk about it on podcasts. I don't know. It's, it's a mess. I I, I hate it. And I think ultimately the NBA has, I think a lot, the NBA for a lot of us got a lot of passes the last year and a half when it came to their diversity efforts, the black lives matters. I don't want to undermine what it was, but the period of time, which is still having consequences today around black lives matter. And that still continues to be important. And I feel like, you know, unlike some of the other leagues, um, they got a lot of passes, but it seems like, you know, now that the pandemic is, I guess it's not over by any means, but at least some folks are able to get back to normal and that the NBA, I feel like the NBA, the commissioner's office and a lot of folks surrounding it and I guess the governors slash owners of the teams, they feel like they could have a lot of these passes now and that they, you know, that folks aren't going to recognize it and call them out. But I hope that there are consequences surrounding it because it's honestly just, it it makes me like not want to watch the NBA um, or at least not support it as much when I see these teams who have every opportunity to do better, just not do it. it. It's really mind blowing and really gross. And it sucks because it takes away from the players. Like, I want to support the player. Like, that's why I watch is because I support the players. But then the organizations are just the ones who are, like, doing these things. And it's like, Yep. I mean, I think ultimately we need to strive to tell these organizations that they need to do better, that they can't just, you know, go around and you know, hire willy nilly and not even talk to other folks to, to get their perspective on why these hires are potentially not a good thing. Um, You know, they should be hiring more women, more black folks that aren't, you know, alleged abusers. There's a lot of things that need to be done better. Um, And unfortunately it distracts from what ultimately should be a very positive period, which is the NBA finals and one that will have folks in person to, you know, I think Phoenix doesn't have any restrictions or nearly doesn't have any restrictions. Um, 
I think that the Milwaukee may be letting up their restrictions in order to have folks go to the finals, but either way, it's just annoying. Um, and I, I didn't, I, we don't have time to mention, but I find it a little bit annoying that the Bucks are trying to find volunteers to staff up their um, concession stands during the finals, saying that they'll be able to watch games. Like, have they ever, has the uh, owner of the organization ever worked a concession stand any time in his lifetime? Um, and yeah. I guess the ownership group, that that's completely silly. Yeah, they got to watch if they're working in the concession stand. That's You can watch it on the TV outside. That's weird. That's something to ask when I, I do my story on the Deer District. That'll be coming out um, during the finals. Yeah, but I don't know. Overall, like they just need to do better because, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we all need to do better, but these organizations who have so much money and so much ability to you know do better they need to do better and we need to you know call it out when they don't but that's it for the show today i think we have talked about quite a bit maybe not deep is the word but very sensitive topics and i hate to end it off like that but we probably should so um for me you can find me on twitter at robotista that's b-r-i-t-r-o-b-o-t-i-s-t-a i am a contributor on um, apollo media and in fact i actually wrote a um, roundtable piece and you can read that on apollohou.com on the blog page um and I am on podcast occasionally, so you can find me or you can follow me on Twitter when I do that. Um, Janelle, where can folks find you at? Hey, you can find me on Twitter at Janelle12. That is J-A-N-N-E-L-L-E 12. And uh, you can find my work throughout the finals on Basketball News. Again, I'll be writing a, a feature about the Bucks Deer District Pavilion. So be on the lookout for that. What about you, Tara? You can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs, and um, I also co-host the We Have a Take podcast. My co-host and I have been taking a little bit of a break, and we're about ready to get started again after we figure out how we want to talk about the team after our feelings have dramatically changed about the team in the last few months. Um, But yeah, uh, that's where you can find my work. Yep, and you can find the show at Step Back Sisters on Twitter. Thank you all, and we hope to talk to you sooner than a month from now. Bye. (laughs)